Good morning. Let me try that again. Good morning. Hey, there we go. We're going to be in John chapter 17 uh, this morning as we uh, continue on in this sermon series on prayer. I think it's appropriate as we uh, move into this uh, Advent season uh, that we remember uh, solitude, that we remember silence, that we remember putting our phones away in the busyness of life to be with the Father in prayer. And I come across this passage in John chapter 17 that is really uh, driven from the heart of the Father, the words spoken directly from the Son as he prays for his disciples. Let's let's read this uh, section here starting in verse 13. Jesus says to God, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, his disciples, may have the full measure of joy, of my joy, within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and that they too may be truly sanctified. Uh, let's, uh, Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I'm just uh, really grateful uh, for a time that we can gather around your table to celebrate you in song, to celebrate you in your word. And I pray that your word will speak to our hearts, our minds, uh, that we'll be open to your leading by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've often wondered where the phrase hedge of protection comes from. How many here have ever uh, prayed the prayer of the hedge of protection around a loved one? Have you prayed the the hedge of protection around uh, your spouse or around your kids? You know, I learned that this connection actually comes from a conversation between God and Satan in Job chapter 1. God asked Satan if he'd considered his servant Job as a, as a righteous person, a person who uh, was good and who loved God. And, and Satan says this, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Now, a hedge in Job's day would have been a a really thorny brush that would surround a person's home to keep the wolves, the lions, anything similar 
out of the way. It's, it's easier to plant that kind of brush than it would be to build a wall. Satan is suggesting that God has put this hedge of protection around Job, that he won't let anything bad happen to Job, and therefore the only reason that Job is blameless is because he's protected. And then through a horrible series of events, Job proves that he is faithful despite the challenges. You remember his words? He said, naked I come from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that begs the question then. Why do we pray for a hedge of protection around our family and friends? Well, the reality is because Job was miserable, amen? What happened to Job was pretty awful, amen? Do you want that kind of stuff to happen to your family? Do you want that kind of stuff to happen to your friends? I'd suggest no, right? So as we look at Jesus' prayer for protection over his disciples, the question is, is he praying for a hedge of protection around his disciples? Or is this a different kind of protection? My suggestion this morning is that I believe that Jesus is praying for spiritual protection, not physical protection. And I just want to take some time to explain why. For starters, Jesus did not abandon the world. If you want to write this down in your notes, you can. Jesus did not abandon the world. And I'm going to be honest with you, I would have. <laughs> now look at Jesus' resume. He healed lepers. Leprosy was a lifelong debilitating disease that slowly would kill you. And Jesus gave those people their lives back. Jesus healed the lame, the mute, the deaf. There was no disability care in the Roman world. If you were lame or mute or deaf, you relied solely on the generosity of others. Jesus gave their lives back. He raised two people from the dead. He fed thousands of people. He gave hope to the hurting. He called the wayward back to God. And how did the religious elite, how did the Roman authorities treat him? Did he get a Nobel Peace Prize? Did he get a Medal of Honor? They killed him, folks. They gave him a death that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And I'm going to tell you this, I would have abandoned this world. Heck, you should hear the kind of things I say to the people who cut me off in traffic. There's no way I would have stuck with these evil people. But instead of abandoning the world, Jesus engages the world. 
Jesus confronts the world. Jesus never leaves us. Do you remember the scene in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26? Jesus had just finished praying for God's will to be done. He said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, shows up with an armed mob. These folks had swords. These folks had clubs. And Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and the fight begins. We're told that one of the disciples drew his sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. <coughs> but listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 26. He says, put your swords away. Don't you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once <coughs> put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? There are 6,000 soldiers and one legion. And Jesus declares that he could raise an army of angels to just slaughter anyone who would oppose. And then he could do what? Abandon this world. But he chose instead to lay down his life. And so Jesus prays. In chapter 17, verse 14 and following, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world, any more than I am not of this world. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them. So he does pray that, G, that, that he doesn't have to take, thank you, Mike, that he doesn't have to take these uh, disciples out of the world. And he does pray that they are protected but verse 17 in this passage helps us understand what exactly he gives them while they're here in this world. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Write this down. Jesus prepares us for an important task. So Jesus doesn't take us out of the world. He doesn't encourage us to abandon the world, which would protect us, right? But then he goes further and prepares us for an important task. The Greek word here for sanctify is hagiazo, which means to set apart for sacred use. And what is it that Jesus gives us to set us apart for sacred use? What is it in the text? Truth. We're set apart by truth. Reminds me of a story I heard from a pastor. He took his son to Cole's kicking camps because his son wanted to play football and he was really into punting and kicking. Listen to his explanation. He said, the camp trains place kickers and punters how to properly and effectively do their jobs. 
It is the kickers and punters that take the time to study and to read, apply what they've learned to go on to achieve their goals in college and professional realms. During the training camp, students receive a book that teaches specially uh, kickers and punters the mechanics of the game and how to find the opportunities that are open to them. Their training books place in writing the mechanics of kicking and punting, detailed instructions how to condition for the game. The book also gives pointers to kickers and punters on how to apply for scholarships and be considered for the NFL. I don't want to be a punter in the NFL. I want to be prepared for this world, though. I want to be ready for what this world has to throw against me. And Jesus, within this context, is saying, look at how they're about to treat me. How do you think they're going to treat you? And I'm going to give you truth. In fact, I'm going to sanctify you by the truth. I'm going to set you apart and get you ready to be equipped. It was Paul who told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God is praying that you may be equipped. Maybe we could use the word here, pruned. That we can be pruned. I pray that he will teach and rebuke, correct, and train us up in righteousness so we can be fully equipped in this life. So Jesus prays that we stay in the world. Jesus prays that we should be fully equipped for what is going to come against us. But, but listen to this. He takes it even a step further, and he says in verse 18, as you, he's talking to the Father, as you sent me, Jesus, into the world, I've also sent you into the world. Listen to what he says. For them, I sanctify myself. Do you know what the ultimate action of sanctification was in this context? It was dying on the cross. So Jesus doesn't call us to abandon the world, but to stay. That didn't make sense, right? The hostile world is something that I naturally want to escape. And then he equips us to engage the world. That also doesn't make sense because I would think that you'd want to put up a hedge. You'd want to put up a wall. Something that separated you from the world. And then he says the ultimate example of reverse living is that God would send his only son into the world to carry a cross which becomes the perfect example of sanctification. And therefore, we must carry our cross for this broken and hostile world. 
None of this sounds super safe. None of this sounds super protected. You know, I'm going to be honest, most of the messages that I hear preached, most of the messages that I hear taught, is to live a safe and quiet life. Have some kids, have a safe job, attend church regularly, and let's all just wait this out until Jesus comes back. Amen? Let's all just wait this out till we could die and go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says here that we're to bear our cross for this world. And that is some misinterpretation, don't you think? That is some miscommunication that's been done over the centuries. There was an old-fashioned lady. She wanted to spend a couple weeks in Florida. And she was delicate and elegant with her language. And she wrote a letter to the campground asking for reservation. She wanted to make sure that the campground was fully equipped. But she didn't want to say the word toilet. So she thought uh, maybe bathroom commode. But then when she wrote that down, she just didn't feel right about it. So she just said B.C. Does the campground have a B.C.? Well, the campground owner didn't know what that meant either. <laughs> he got to thinking about it, talking about it. He talked to some of the campers, and they said, you know what? I think what that stands for is Baptist Church. So he wrote this letter to the lady. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the camp. It's capable to sit 250 people. It's quite a distance away, and if you're in the habit of going regularly, no doubt you'll be pleased to know that there's a great number of people that take their lunches along, and they make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. It was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time. And you may be interested to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy some more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the B.C. so everyone can watch and talk about the great event. It pains me much that I'm not able to go regularly, but it's surely not a lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in the cold weather. If you do decide to come to the campground, perhaps I could go with you for your first time, sit with you, introduce you to the other folks. You know, miscommunications happen. And I want to be as blunt as I can about this truth. Jesus is not praying for a hedge of protection around you. He's not. He's praying that you will stay in this world. And he equips you to do so. In fact, he's asking you to lay down your life.
as we hold the bread and juice, it's a reminder of the life that you and I have been called to. Not a life of comfort, not a life of riches, but a life that would lay down their life for this hostile, sinful, ugly world. We have three communion stations. We're going to be singing a song in Christ alone. And I encourage you, as we sing, to reflect. Let's stand together. Father, I am truly grateful for the example of your son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he laid down his life for me. And I'm honored to be called to do the same. And I pray, dear Lord, that each one of us will be, in fact, thoroughly equipped as you sanctify us with truth. I pray that you will guide and lead us in this world, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, I pray that we can lay down our lives for our neighbors and that you could be a light shining through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.